when you hear yourself talk. Uh, I never sound the way I think I sound on the recording. I was like, is that what I sound like? Because I don't like that guy. Um, it's a joke. I do like myself. Okay. Uh, this passage, uh, this gospel passage, um, I want to say is an important one. Well, of course it's an important one, but what does it have to do with us today? It falls at an interesting time in the church calendar. Um, between We're about to head up to the ascension, which is when, when we kind of remember that Christ died and he rose, and then he like left us to kind of do what we're going to do with his gospel and his spirit. And he left us, and he says, it's better that I leave you. And so this passage falls in what we call the farewell discourse. It's with these chapters um, where Christ washes the disciples' feet. What a, what a powerful way to, to, uh, to know that Christ is with you, that he bends down and washes the disciples' feet. So uncomfortable, so close. And then after that closeness, that uncomfortability, Christ says, let's get ready for my farewell. Let's get ready for my leaving. Now, he's talking in the immediate sense about his crucifixion, about his death, about his going away. But for us here today, he's also talking about what life will be like between the ascension when he goes to be with his father and his return to judge the living and the dead. And that's where we live. We live between Christ is risen and Christ will come again. This is our time. These thousands of years we've spent waiting for the Christ who has left us to return to us. Um, It will be, Christ promises, a time of great tribulation. And I don't mean that word to scare you, but opposition. That he has left us with a world that is not favorable towards Christ and what he is saying. What is most unfavorable about it is Christ preached that we cannot depend on ourselves to live. And we have an innate desire in ourselves to depend on ourselves. It's the compulsion of original sin to depend on oneself. And Christ preached himself as the only thing to be depended on for salvation. And the world will always be opposed to that. You can feel it in yourself when you have a job you like, when you have a job you love, the desire to depend on your own resources to get it done. That is the world coming in at you. And Christ is a pull away from that, a painful pull away from our dependence on ourselves. He's going to tell us with the farewell discourse, how are we going to love and serve and be with a Christ who has left us. He wants both us to know he is not physically with us and yet he is with us. So how is he going to do that? He makes it clear that the time we're going to be in, which is now, the time we're in now, is going to be marked by some things um, that we need to get used to. One, it'll be a time, I said of opposition, but it will also be a time of listening. It'll be a time of hearing. He says things like, you are already clean by the word I have spoken you. That's how you know you've been grafted into Christ's own life. You've been made clean by the word he's spoken, the word of the gospel. He says, I have spoken these things to you that you may have joy in your life. And he says, and I've also spoken these things that you may not fall away. It's a time of hearing what Christ has said, of remembering his words to us. It's also a time of prayer. The high priestly prayer, which marks the end of the kind of Christ's farewell, is when he lets the disciples overhear what he's saying to the Father. A great moment of intimacy. But when Christ prays for his disciples, it is scary. Because Christ prays that although we will be in the world, he prays to the Father, keep them from the evil one. 
That is Christ praying for us. And we have every indication from the epistles and onward that Christ goes to the Father and takes up His role as our intercessor in prayer. That He is praying for us. Why? Because life in this world is perilous. And it is full of opposition. And He prays to the Father to keep us and to guard us. And it says that He's going to give us, and this is the most distinct part, He's going to give us His Holy Spirit so that we can do two things. We can continue to hear and we can join His life of prayer. He says the Holy Spirit will take what is mine, what is Christ, and declare it to us. It will take what is mine. This Holy Spirit will not even speak with His own authority. He will overhear Christ's words to the Father and He will declare it to us. It will be a time of hearing. 1 John, it says, if you continue in what you've heard, if you abide in what you've heard, let what you've heard abide in you. That the Word of God, the Gospel, is not just a historical event by the Holy Spirit. It is a living presence, a living event in the heart of God's people to rescue their trust and to turn them again towards Christ. And it says that we join His life of intercessory prayer. We're invited into it when He says, this is how I pray, our Father not in heaven. But it also says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, takes our groanings, takes our unformed thoughts and words and groans with us. And that is Christ bringing our own life of prayer with Him to the Father. It's a precious thing that happens by the Spirit, the great gifts we are given. And I do this as a preamble to say this, is the, this passage doesn't just fall out of the sky to us. It comes, it comes with a great thoughtfulness on Christ's end. How are my people going to live when they cannot see me physically? How are they going to abide when I am not with them physically? And he has a, he has a preparation for it. In preparing us for his absence, he introduces what I think is the most in, one of the most enduring images of his presence. The image of the vine and the branches comes in a talk that he is giving about his absence. Can you imagine that? The one of the most precious metaphors of ways of understanding that Christ has not left us comes in a talk about him leaving us. He says this, Abide in me and I in you. Right? Without me you can do nothing. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. And what does that word abide means because it happens right before we get to this gospel text where we are commanded to love one another. The vine is how he introduces that command to love one another. When I think of abide, I think of, um, I can't help it, I think of some kind of hippie with his hands out like this, abiding in the great ether of the universe, you know, abiding. And I think that it's not a word that means a lot to me unless I can understand it in ways that make sense to me, in ways that make sense to people that I'm with. And what I think of abide, another word would be remain, but I think even closer to what it's like to live, I think, is the word depend. He's saying, depend on me. I can be depended on. And we have every assurance in the Gospels that when we depend on Christ, we have Him. That we have Him by dependence. That when all you have is trust, that trust has all of Christ all of the power of his crucifixion and resurrection. I was uh, at the zoo yesterday um, with some friends, and I was pushing a guy around in a wheelchair because he had hurt his leg. He was a friend of mine. 
and I took a break and I put the little things, the stoppers on the wheelchairs. I said, I'm just going to lean against this metal railing. I'm going to lean on it. I'm going to depend on this thing for a second. And my first thought was, I'm so glad I have this metal railing that I can depend on it. So I lean on it and it breaks. Now I am a very athletic and sharp-witted man and I was able to stop myself from falling back and, and par- <laughs> par- perilously falling across uh, into some zoo exhibit. But um, at that moment, you realize something, that there is a, a duality to, to dependence. My first thought was, I have this railing. But the real question was, does this railing have me? And when we can think on leaning, we think those things that we lean on, we have them profoundly. They are there to lean on. But what we lean on has us profoundly. We put all of our weight onto it with the assurance that it has us. And what a picture of abiding. Abide in me and I in you. Depend on me because I can be depended on. Lean on me with all of your weight because I can have all of it. I can hold all of it. Well, I think the most beautiful thing about Christ leaving is he assures us that he can still be depended on. That he is there in some way among his people to be truly depended on. First Peter says it like this, Though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Though you do not see him, you love him. Though he is not there, he is there. And we have that by His Word and by His Spirit. And I mention that because this dependence, this trust, this leaning, is the only way to understand the severity of the call to obedience because this passage is about obedience. And I don't know about you, but I've heard obedience preached two ways most of the time. It's either not preached or it's preached badly. And I have a friend of mine who I love dearly who thinks that what people should do is if they could just be reminded that they should obey, then they will. And my first thought is, good luck with that. Tell people they should obey. All people need is just a reminder that they're supposed to obey, and then they will. And the Gospels say, no. And yet, there is a call to obedience in this passage. How can we understand it? We can't ignore it. It's there. And yet, if we understand it the wrong way, We have only increased the power of sin in our life. I have people that I've seen that are serving God from a place of complete distrust in His promises and a complete distrust in His mercy. And it is heartbreaking. Because when the good stuff happens with their obedience, it becomes this way of depending on oneself and making oneself right before God. And it is just agonizing. This is worse for you than if you just sat in a chair and did nothing. But in here we see that we are supposed to serve and obey our Lord. So how can we make sense of that passage? It's a striking paradox. And what I want to offer as a way of a thesis of the passage, that unless our obedience is the completion of our dependence on Christ, unless we can obey Christ from a place of dependence on Him, our obedience is unhelpful and may make us worse off. And yet, the severity of the command. He says two things, and we should uh, look on page 7, because otherwise I'll fly off the text and just talk about my stuff. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
What a sweet promise. Abide, remain, lean on me. The grace of God through faith alone, saving us there to be dependent on. And then he says, keep my commandments. And in his mind, there is no opposition. But in my mind, I cannot help but hear it. One says, abide in my love. And the other one says, and do what I say. Can you hear it? Abide in my love, now do what I say. And is that what he is saying? No. But I can't help but hear it that way. But there's something that saves us. He says this, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then here's the passage. Here's the turning point. Here's, Here's how we can interpret this. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. What's the difference between a servant and a friend? How does a servant obey? If the servant does not obey, the master's wrath comes upon him. It's a transactional thing. I do this so that I'll be okay. There's a sense of fear involved, a sense of consequences, a sense of let me do this so that I will be okay. And Christ says, my call to obedience is about friendship. It is an exchange between friends. It is about being drawn into my own life with the Father. I didn't have a a sermon Title, but if I did, I would call it this. I would call it the intimacy of, of obedience. That there is an intimacy to it. There is a closeness to our obedience of Christ. It is something between friends. It is something between people who love one another. And this is important for me. I, I'm, uh, I don't want to dwell on it, but I need to say it because it's helpful for you to know where I'm coming from. As I have uh, an anxiety disorder that makes my thoughts and feelings unreliable. I have a brain that says I should be afraid of things when there's nothing to be afraid of. I have a brain that makes me anxious over nothing. I have a brain that can create dread just by pumping the wrong chemicals into my body. And so when I hear the word intimacy, I think of I'm supposed to conjure up close feelings to Christ, and that is not... What is being pictured here? What kind of intimacy is it? Is it the intimacy of of perfect, virtuous thoughts? No. Is it the intimacy of feeling? Is it the intimacy of feeling close to Christ? No. And what kind of intimacy is it? And I offer that it is the intimacy of trust. It is the intimacy of trust. What kind of trust? The trust that was created in us when we heard that Christ died for us and believed in him. It is what I call a rescued trust, a trust that has been delivered from its dependence on self and has been placed before the feet of Christ. And that trust is only the creation of our hearing, the hearing of the word. And it is the most precious means of communion we have with the Lord. And I treasure that because my feelings do not want to commune with the Lord 
My thoughts do not want to commune with the Lord. But I have a trust that has been created by the Lord and can be recreated and re-rescued again through hearing. And the Lord can lead that trust into its fulfillment, which is obedience. Only the power of the cross unleashed and accessed in the heart of man by faith can ever fulfill itself in the love of neighbor. Only the power of the cross unleashed in the heart of man and accessed by faith can ever fulfill itself in the love of neighbor. Obedience is about risk. Obedience is about trust. I, uh, I had a memory um, the other day, well, just today, actually. Um, on Christ the solid rock I stand, uh, when he shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I then in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Uh, that was the first song I ever sang in public. I sang it at church. Um, do you know how hard it is to sing? It is not hard. You literally open your mouth and like, ah, and like stuff, sounds come out. Do you know what it's like to be nine years old and to know you can't sing and to be asked to sing in front of a bunch of people and to sing that stanza, which you can, you're trying to make sure you don't forget. It took all the trust I had to do it. Is it hard to pick up the phone and call somebody? Is it literally an exertion to do this? No. But if it's someone you don't want to talk to, if it's someone who has deeply wounded you and the Lord has put it on your heart to reach out to them anyway, it takes all the trust in the world to call them. Obedience has never been about effort. It has never been about energy. It has always been, can Christ be trusted? Can he be trusted with my time? Can he be trusted with what I do with my body as I dial that number and call my friend who I do not like anymore? Because the Lord has said, more important than your hurt feelings is that you bear witness to who I am. I ask you to offer yourself, do you trust me? And you have to remember that this guy died for you and he is trustworthy. It takes all the trust in the world to look at people, not as people that need to be fixed or people that can be controlled or people that are to be ignored, but people that we have been asked to offer ourselves to. I think that's what he means by, I ask you to love one another. Offer yourself anyway. Offer yourself. Not out of any other sense than the fact that I died for you and I can be trusted. And the trust that I rescued is now being led to this moment. Um, the work I do um, with Church Army, I'm out among folks. Um, trust is the hardest thing to win back. They have been burned, deeply burned. Their most important relationships have failed them. And I'm out there, and my job is to let them know that Christ is trustworthy, that it's hard. And every time they come back to church, they are doing an act of obedience that honors the Lord so profoundly. They are walking back into God's people and saying, I will open myself up to being hurt again. Because I know Christ is trustworthy and he has led me back. It is a time, I said, between the times, between Christ is risen and Christ will come again. It is a time of bearing witness 
not of fixing, not of controlling, not of making the, everything right, but the opportunity to say, Christ died for me, and when I offer myself, I bear witness to the Christ who died for me. And I can do it only if the power of the cross will lead me to it and lead me through it. Amen.